Takes is a podcast from BCA Research, informing investors with straightforward, actionable analysis of macro and market events. Hi there, and welcome to the Quick Takes podcast. I'm your host, Rakaya Ibrahim, strategist at BCA Research. Crude oil prices have rallied over the past two weeks following the eruption of the Middle East crisis. However, they have not broken above the year-to-date peak in late September. This dynamic begs the question whether oil markets are underestimating the risks to supply and how will supply-side and demand-side forces interact over the coming year. To help answer these questions, my colleague Bob Ryan is joining me on the podcast this week. Bob heads up BCA Research's Commodity and Energy Strategy Service. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you back. Thank you, Rakaya. Great to be here. So, Bob, in last week's episode of the podcast, I spoke to our colleague Matt Gherkin about the geopolitical angle of the situation in the Middle East and the risk that the conflict broadens and becomes a regional war. Now, that, of course, has implications for oil markets. And an important question stemming from the discussion is how to quantify the geopolitical risks to oil supply, not only from the Middle Eastern producers, but also from Russia. So let's start off with that. When you update your monthly supply demand forecasts, how are you factoring these geopolitical risks into your outlook? As it happens, we updated our balances and price forecasts with this week's publications. So when we look at it, uh, you know, we have a model that we run that takes supply and demand inventories, and then we have other variables around there as well, like the dollar. Once we've got a base case figured out, We run simulations around that and then see how different shocks to the system affect price. We use current estimates of supply and demand and inventory, like I was saying, and then we'll, you know, shock the supply side. So in the case of Iran and the current conflict that we have going in the Middle East, the shock that we impose on it is the U.S. begins to vigorously enforce sanctions on uh, Iranian oil exports. And right now, they amount to about anywhere from 700,000 to a million barrels a day. We take that out of our balances and see what that does and hold everything else constant. So our, our demand estimate is held constant and other elements of supply are held constant. We just see what happens if we lose those Iranian barrels. And we can observe that if we remove those million barrels a day, it takes prices past 120 um, and, you know, on their way to 130 and, and could possibly get to 140, depending on how long that persists. And that's on top of our base case. So our base case right now, not assuming any shocks, assumes that next year we're going to trade at about $118 a barrel. So just for reference, we can call that 120 and we could see prices bounce up to 140 in the event uh, that that supply is lost. There is also another shock that we impose on the system, and that's from Russia, showing what would happen if we lost 2 million barrels a day of Russian supply. We also account for the case of 1 million barrels a day lost, but that's already covered in the Iran simulation. And if we were to lose 2 million barrels a day of Russian supply between April and December of next year, 
the idea here being that, you know, Russia would very much like to see Biden defeated in next year's general election. He's been very focused in his efforts to help Ukraine and also to confront Russia, you know, wherever he feels the need to. Our thinking there is that the Russians, particularly President Putin, has a, a much better relationship with former President Trump in the U.S., and more than likely would want to get Trump back in office. You know, they had a very close relationship. So by constricting supply in the second, third, and fourth quarter next year uh, and sending prices higher, in the U.S., incumbents lose their re-election bids for office if gasoline prices are high going into elections. Uh, we're, we're sure the Russians are aware of that. So this would be one way for them to increase the odds that Biden is not reelected. We assume that as well and run that through the model. And that would push us up toward $160 a barrel by the end of next year, based on how we shot the system and the result that it produces. You know, we try to at least get a frame of reference. We know with certainty if we were to lose a million a day of Iran's supply, or we lose two million a day of Russia's supply, there's a very, very high likelihood that Saudi Arabia and uh, the UAE would restore the production they've removed from the global supply system uh, in order to support prices and keep them at levels more in line with the uh, revenue goals that they have for their own energy transition and diversification away from such a strong dependence on oil sales. If we were to get those shocks, we're highly confident that Saudi and the UAE would be able to move quickly and, in fact, probably are now discussing it and have been laying out plans and, and they're in consultation with the U.S. to keep everybody on the same page, you know, going into a very fraught period, a highly, highly uncertain period. We don't know how long that response would take and we don't know what the impact would be. You know, the conflict between Hamas and Israel spreads and encompasses Hezbollah in Lebanon and Iran arms and funds these groups could conceivably be drawn into that conflict. It's tough to see those things. That's why, you know, in, in this week's report, we, we focus much more on the uncertainty. Uh, you know, these are nice frames of reference. But, you know, if we get into a war setting, it would be extremely difficult to estimate what the impacts are going to be, particularly since we don't know what's going to happen around the Strait of Hormuz or what's going to happen around the Bab el-Mendeb Straits, which is down at the bottom of the Red Sea, and how that affects uh, oil transit. Two of the most important waterways, the, the Strait of Hormuz is, is the most important waterway for, you know, shipping oil and uh, refined products. It's like 20% of the world's daily consumption or more goes through there. And uh, the Bab el-Mendeb over on the other side of the peninsula, that's like 10 or 16% of waterborne crude and product uh, shipment going through there. And it goes north and south. So, you know, it comes out of the Red Sea and it goes up the Red Sea into the Mediterranean and, you know, product gets distributed uh, into those markets. So it quickly gets complicated. But at least having a frame of reference, we can think about it more and our clients can think about it more as well. Absolutely. I mean, the supply side, there's a lot of uncertainty there, not only as you highlight from the potential tightening of sanctions on Iranian oil from the U.S., but also this risk that infrastructure and choke points all over the region are also impacted by this. But then let's turn to the demand side in this scenario. So 
you know, at what price level would you start to be concerned then about demand destruction and that could potentially start to bring prices back down again? Excellent observation. You know, what we've observed in history is when gasoline prices in the U.S. get up to between $4 and $5 a gallon is when you start seeing real conservation. I think we're around three fifty. last I checked earlier this week, maybe a little bit lower because we've had a little bit of a sell-off here. But once you cross over four, uh, people begin to take notice. And once you get toward five or through five, there's real conservation going on. That's when you'd see that demand destruction showing up. You know, the European market is less sensitive because they have such high taxes on gasoline and diesel. The larger economies in the world, uh, most of which are going to be EMs, China and India in particular, unless they got subsidies from their governments, which has happened in the past, would feel the uh, sting of higher prices as well. Because in addition to prices going up through 121.30, which would give you those 4 to $5 gasoline prices, you are also going to get a stronger dollar, uh, more than likely, as investors move towards safe haven. So gold and the dollar would be well bid. And that stronger dollar compounds the effect of the higher prices. So you'd probably get a knock on from that as well, which we would be looking for. But for right now, we're not there yet. And even with that, just given the way we see supply-demand balances unfolding, we still expect to see prices averaging about $118 a barrel next year. And that's with none of these shocks to the system. That's just supply contracting because of OPEC plus production management strategy, as well as, you know, outside of OPEC plus the shale uh, operators in the U.S. And the U.S. is now the largest producer in the world of oil um, and refined products. They are not increasing production unless they can do it profitably so they can maintain shareholder payouts. So if they're not able to earn the necessary profits that they need to make dividend payments to do the share buybacks, they're not going to produce. You know, that also is a a complicating factor here. So you could see prices moving higher, but also services costs. The thing that makes it so expensive to produce is obviously the oil services companies are confronting higher costs themselves. So the adjustment to higher prices can be slow in that environment. And when you put the supply and demand picture together, given that, you know, you haven't factored in these risks into your base case scenario, the risks stemming from the Middle East situation, is it plausible that we see prices rise even in a scenario in which the economy is in recession? Yes. In fact, if we were to get, you know, some of these scenarios we talked about, we would have to raise our weight if we saw that beginning to evolve. So right now, we give the loss of the Iranian barrels next year, the million barrels a day, uh, we give that a 25% probability. We give the Russian unilateral production cuts 25% probability. So if we were to start seeing things moving in that direction, we'd start increasing that probability, raising our expectation on the basis of that. Thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast, Bob, and sharing your views with me this week. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Rikai. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Quick Takes podcast. We'll be bringing you weekly quick takes with BCA strategists on a range of macro and market topics. Stay tuned for next week's episode.